presents the News Quiz with your host, Sandy Topsvig. Hello and welcome to the News Quiz. We start with a correction in the Times, read by Carolyn Brown. The image of the week on page five of The Knowledge, purporting to show the artists Gilbert and George looking uncannily like Morecambe and Wise, is in fact Morecambe and Wise. (laughs) We apologise for that. And our thanks to David Harding for sending that in. Now let's meet the teams. Will you welcome first on my right, Francis Ween and Jackie Clune. And opposite them on my left, Andy Hamilton and Jeremy Hardy. Francis, for which stand-up on his farewell tour was it not a case of nice to see you, but more T-U-C-U nice? Do you see what I've done there? Do you see I do. I think it's terrifically clever. Almost as clever as the Sun's front page headline. Did you what see that? What was that? No. It was T-U-C off. <laughs> yes, well, Tony started his farewell tour now and went off to Brighton. Didn't go down awfully well. There was a bit of booing and bottle-throwing Reading Festival style. <laughs> I think I do Donington Masters of Rock next year. Don't think he'd be all good there. Um, he stands on stage in his heavy metal uh, trousers and, and says, hope you like my new direction. But, um, he's going to do it again in Manchester in two weeks' time. And um, we've got about a year of this now, haven't we? I, the TUC comments is bad enough because it's like, it's like he's addressing the staff, isn't it? It's like he's the landowner and, and the, he has to give them their Christmas box. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though, the standard of walkouts has gone down, hasn't it? I, I thought, I don't know, have they Very got a new poor. choreographer or something? It was, it was shambolic, wasn't it, the walkout? It I missed it, I only heard it on the radio. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't work on radio, you'll have to get an FX footsteps record. <laughs> <laughs> they, they should have had a bit more energy about yeah. the whole... You said, I mean, when the railway union, the RMT, walked out, you thought, they're all going, oh, it's quicker than taking a train. <laughs> <laughs> We really got a year of it because, I mean, maybe if we're lucky, maybe it'll all blow up before then. And I, I mean, that, I'm not advocating terrorism. <laughs> I was talking figuratively because um, I think this week has seen a turning point in this whole story because Gordon Brown has made a massive tactical error, which will cost him the premiership, I'm sure, because he has decided to start smiling. <laughs> and, and I just don't think the country's ready for it. I don't <laughs> Because he's not one of nature's smilers. The only other place you see a smile like that is in the crowd scenes in The Wicker Man. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, most of us preferred him when he was this rather grim and doer bachelor working 24 hours a day. And that's the sort of person we want as private. Yeah. Well, well, also, he keeps going on about it. I saw one bit where he said, oh, you know, it really brings you down to earth when you have to get up at three in the morning for your kids and stuff. And I started thinking, actually, that's his biggest weakness as a potential prime minister isn't it? Because a middle-aged man with young children, you think, I don't want him at some crucial conference. You know, if George Bush says, I think we should attack Iran, and Gordon says, hmm, what? Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, some, he's he's, some, in, he's some, on the lineup of world leaders with dribble all the way Yeah, Tony Blair's farewell speech to the TUC this week was met with heckles and a walkout. I don't think anybody was completely sure why he got such a bad reception. Although I think it didn't really help that he opened with the words, my fellow Americans. Um, <laughs> that's two points to Francis. Jackie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sandy. Who will be ending their party conference with a verse of there's no business like show business? And I can barely bring myself to talk about this because when I read it, yeah. I was so deeply appalled and embarrassed. It's so cringeworthy. I thought my sphincter was going to swallow itself. <laughs> um, I read that David Cameron is planning on, in quotes, spicing up 
the forthcoming uh, Conservative Party conference by using elements from the reality TV shows The X Factor and The Dragon's Den to sort of put forward these would-be policies to the panel who will include, I don't know, a Tory dragon. I can't think of anyone. It was Anne Whitcomb. Oh, was it really? Oh. <laughs> and we've got the, 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 the X Factor, the Sharon Osbourne and Simon Cowell double act. It's going to be apparently Baroness Thatcher is coming back to do a little number with Norman Tebbit. Well, Please tell me them, that's not they? true. Is that true? She's Baroness Thatcher? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. You're joking. I, no, I made it up, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I introduced her at a lunch recently, and I was told really, really clearly, do not let her speak, okay? And I have hated this woman for years, and she came up, and they said, it's just bad, she's hopeless now. She came up to the stage, and she said, I'd like to say a few words, and I went, okay. <laughs> <laughs> She's picking up the uh, special relationship with America at a time when uh, he's trying to play it down, your yeah. man Cameron. Because he's saying, oh, we, I don't want to slay... He says, I support the war in Iraq, but I don't want a slavish relationship with America. So it's all right for us to follow America into an illegal war on spurious grounds against a country that was no threat, which we now leave in chaos and enmesh our troops in an unwinnable war, turn the whole Muslim and Arab world against us and ensure generations of terrorists to come, but no further. <laughs> David Cameron plans to liven up next month's Tory party conference in Bournemouth by holding a version of the BBC Two show Dragon's Den. It's not the only game show that they're taking inspiration from on day two. Delegates will have their say on the age of consent. They're going to be shouting out, higher, lower. <laughs> uh, two points there for Jackie. Jeremy, why is it curtains for Gordon Brown? Well, they're all doing this weird moving around thing, because apparently Blair never lived in 10 Downing Street at all. That was a myth. He always lived in 11 Downing Street, and Brown didn't live anywhere. And now Brown is moving into number 10, where no one has been living, and it's like a weird Channel 4 property program. <laughs> and, yeah, interestingly, what's-his-face is, um, as they're all moving around, Alan Watson is a postie. No, what's his name? Johnson. Wait, Alan no, Johnson, no your man, the postie man. And he, because uh, he used to deliver the post to Prescott's house, Dorley Wood, which is now, well, one of Prescott's residences. He also has grace and favour residence in Tony Blair's bottom, of course. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> Live there all the time. <laughs> yes, Gordon Brown has moved swiftly this week to distance himself from the attempted overthrow of Tony Blair uh, by moving into number 10. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and apparently he's going to get uh, rid of all John Major's chintz. Uh, of course, he'll be keeping all of his economic policies. <laughs> and he's ordered a new bed. Uh, this is the news. I don't know how this becomes news. He's ordered a new bed for John Major's old flat. Apparently the old bed was in good nick, but there was a very slight whiff of curry. <laughs> <laughs> Subject. Does anybody know who else is jockeying for position at the moment? Um, is it Alan Watson, is it? Alan Watson? Because he's quite common, isn't he? Tom Watson. Tom, no, the new, the new potential deputy... John Tipson. Alan, Alan Johnson. Johnson. Alan this, Johnson. This does not bode well for Alan Johnson. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> if great, Johnson is the hot favourite. If he's called Johnson, then he may well not be. Um, <laughs> because he's, he made a speech this week saying he's neither new Labour nor old Labour, but real Labour. So he's... Clever, you see, positioning. Yeah. Not Gordon, not Tony. I'm man of myself. It's like the IRA. It just it's got all these factions: the provisional wing, the continuity Labour. I can't believe it's not Labour. Wing. <laughs> They're all getting together their candidates. Uh, the Welsh Northern Ireland Secretary Peter Hayne has put himself forward to replace John Prescott as Deputy Prime Minister. Uh, the notion that Mr. Hayne wants to be the new Prescott 
has led to the immediate resignation of his secretary. <laughs> Andy, why will accidents soon be much more of an emergency? Is it to do with the plans for the motorways? When there's a lot of traffic? Mm, no. All oh, right. But, hospitals. Uh, hospitals. Hospitals. They're going to close some hospitals down because they're running out of money. Yeah, one? but you could have guessed that from almost any week, couldn't you? <laughs> this new head chap, David Nicholson, who uh-huh. runs the NHS, gave an interview saying we don't need all these A&E departments. So they're going to, I think, rationalise. Well, I think worth. anyone who's been in an A&E department knows that no one ever uses them. They're clearly oh. obsolete. It's just a lot of people larking about on trolleys, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what do we do if we have an accident? What do we do? Get you just DHL'd. think of it differently. You just think of it as a sort of mishap or a life experience, yeah. perhaps. <laughs> Learning process. Yeah. Is your glass half empty, or is your leg really hanging off? (laughs) You're absolutely right, Jack. It's the way way in which you analyse it. Um, But the government is denying that plans to halve the number of A&E hospitals has anything to do with the fact that one in ten hospital trusts are so cash-strapped they're already contemplating closing key departments. And when the units have closed, people with minor injuries, they'll go to a walk-in centre, and people with major injuries uh, will also go to a walk-in centre, but they'll have to carry their limbs... um, (laughs) with them. Strictly speaking, we're going to have to give a point to Francis for coming up with the... But shouldn't we approach it like sort of some maths exam, Okay. And so even if the answer isn't right, as long as I show you how I got the answer, then... (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can give me your workings out later on. Uh, So at the end of round one, the scores are uh, Francis and Jackie have got five and Andy and Jeremy have got three. We start round two with a cutting from the Thixendale Parish magazine. There will be a talk in the village hall on the 4th of September. It'll be given by Mrs Ashworth. Her subject, propagation. If time allows, there'll be some hands-on experience. (laughs) And many thanks to Peter Reid for spotting that. Francis, why are we having a problem weaning children off the bottle? There's a thing called the um, Advisory Committee on the Misuse of Drugs. I don't know why the government has to advise people on how to misuse drugs. Actually, most people pick it up quite easily for themselves, but they do have this committee, and it's now turning its attention to legal drugs. Uh, it normally does cannabis and stuff, but it's now booze and fags. Is that the one? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. Actually, I did, did occur to me that maybe it was going to be called the Advisory Committee on Illegal Drugs, and then somebody spotted ACID acid. <laughs> but like COBRA, you know that wonderful committee that meets whenever there's a terrorist emergency, and they say, Tony Blair is chairing an emergency committee of COBRA. Cabinet Office Briefing Romay. And this is perfectly true. It was originally to be called Briefing Romay, without the Cabinet Office bit at the front, <laughs> until it dawned on them. This would have quite the same sense of urgency and terrorist thrill about it, but they say Tony Blair is chairing bra. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, back to... the idea you could have numbered all the different chairs, 34D. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, this thing that might have been called acid but isn't says that they want to lower the legal drinks level for drink drivers under the age of 25. And they're going to raise, or they want to raise, the age for buying fags to 18 instead of 16, which is terrifically sweet, as if people actually obey this. The best way of stamping it out would be to make it compulsory, add it to key stage three. <laughs> and then... No one would do it. Instead of a milk monitor, you'd have a fag monitor. Yes. Two hours of smoking homework tonight, children. If you had compulsory heroin, kids would try and get off drugs by forgetting their kid. Did anybody see the, um, the letter in the Telegraph? Actually? Oh, yes, about yes. the death of childhood. Well, that was all about this sort of thing. Yeah. Children spend all their time now 
playing PlayStation and they don't have one of these wholesome hearty childhoods that we all had, I'm sure, where we go out and find smugglers in a secret cove and then... <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of youth stories uh, this week, um, but the ones we've been touching on, Britain's kids are actually up there with the best in Europe at something. They are officially among Europe's uh, heaviest smokers and drinkers. Um, it was the Advisory Council on the Misuse of Drugs who want an increase in the legal age for buying tobacco from 16 to 18 and a ban on advertising alcohol on television. And uh, lots of head teachers have, uh, have warned. Where there was a letter in the Telegraph, 110 teachers and psychologists, children's authors and so on, who blamed a cocktail of junk food marketing over competitive schooling and electronic entertainment for poisoning modern childhood. Uh, the Department of Education denied that childhood was getting shorter. Things have never been better, said a 12-year-old government spokesman. <laughs> Jackie, have a listen to this. Who thinks bodybuilding is easier with a little prick? <laughs> I think this must be about um, young men using anabolic steroids in bodybuilding to try and get that, you, you call it buff, don't you, or ripped or cut. Really? If you're, yes. You want to be buff, ripped and cut all at the same time? I think so. I think that's sounds like idea. a fetish. Or, or have a six-pack or a 12-pack. I don't know which it is these days. I've got a party seven. <laughs> <laughs> You know, these young boys are busy trying to get buff and cut so that they look good on the dance floor. And these are young men, most of whom aren't even gay. But women, women today put pressure on men to look like male models, which they didn't yeah. used to do. We used to be able to let ourselves go. Yeah. <laughs> Once we'd pulled, that was the deal. Think, well, I can break wind, not change my underwear, because I've got somebody now. And now women, women say to men, oh, why don't you got big muscles like that? And you think, well, because I don't do manual labour, do I? I mean, I don't, my job doesn't require require slapping hods around. I have to sit still a lot eating sandwiches in a badly ventilated space. This has struck a bit of a nerve, hasn't it, Jeremy? Yeah. No, bitch. <laughs> I mean, what I don't get is how anybody would think you'd look better on the dance floor because you took steroids. I mean, that's, what are you going to do, replace your dancing with having a fit? I don't know. It's just... You just run on and throw a javelin for East Germany. <laughs> You're probably going to drop dead at 30 anyway, aren't you? Which is going to put a bit of a mockers on the evening. Yeah, but who wants to be 30, you know? Certainly not me. <laughs> Nor me. Uh, yes, a survey by the charity Drugscope has found that young men are increasingly <clears throat> turning to steroids as a shortcut to the perfect body. And experts warned that steroids, of course, cause serious damage to the liver and kidneys. And I have to say, I don't think that's the sort of information that would deter people who are seeking the body beautiful. I mean, you imagine how flat your stomach would be if you removed your liver and kidneys. <laughs> in my experience, anything that ends in oids isn't good. No. <laughs> Jeremy, ah. uh, why are homeowners under the hammer? God, this is depressing. Everyone's so in debt now. The highest category age group for people defaulting on their mortgages is people 21 to 24. They should just be chilling. The idea of people having to experience their first estate agent when they're 21. <laughs> but um, no, that is what it is. It's we're all in debt, but they don't call it debt. They call it loans. People wouldn't have accepted student loans if they'd called it student debt, but they just accept. They come out of college, they're already thousands of pounds. I may as well borrow more. Loan sharks, if we called them debt sharks, they'd sound more menacing. This is a problem. You get all these adverts saying, oh, why not consolidate all your debts into one easily endurable monthly beating? <laughs> Um, 
And, and the reason, because I've got economics A-level, so I know this, the reason mortgages are so high is because houses cost a lot. <laughs> and it's bloody ridiculous. You can't just... How can, a, how can a flat possibly be worth more than 40 quid? When you think what it's made from, you can find the makings of a house in any skip, along with a shopping trolley to help you move, and a single training shoe, which makes for a safe and amusing cat toy. Last year, I sold a two-bedroom flat for £250,000. Landlady went spare. <laughs> oh! You, you hear so much about the tenant's right to buy, not the right to sell, do you? I thought, I thought I'm showing the buggers round, I'm having the money. Uh, SD's house prices are continuing to rise to record levels, and the Citizens Advice Bureau has warned that more and more people are falling behind on their mortgages due to inflation rises and irresponsible lending. And there's been many articles, apparently the housing market is uh, returning to the 1980s, which is great news for my avocado bathroom suite. (laughs) Andy, which rock proves our relatives rolled on for longer? Oh, uh, this is when Neanderthal man, was it? Fetched up in Gibraltar. He did, yeah. I I, I glaze over a bit when I start reading stories about Neanderthals, because I always think the drawings look a bit like me. (laughs) (laughs) But um, it's significant, isn't it, that they found them at well, Gibraltar? Well, because they're much later than we thought. For a few thousand years, they lived on in this little cave in Gibraltar. Because Gibraltarians are so utterly backward, that's why. That also does reading in the newspapers, because that's what you have to do for this programme, apparently, is uh, Spain objected to the European Court in the fact that in the European elections, Gibraltar is part of the England South West constituency. And the European Court said that there is no reason why it shouldn't be in the England South West constituency. Yeah, and there is. The reason is, it's in Spain. <laughs> it borders Andalusia, not Thumathet. Yeah. <laughs> but, but for electoral purposes, it is Plymouth East. <laughs> Uh, Two points to Andy Hamilton, otherwise known as the final link. Um, (laughs) The last resting place of the last Neanderthals has been found in a cave in Gibraltar, showing that they survived for much longer than previously thought, and confirming suspicions that the colony genuinely is stuck in a time warp. Uh, At the end of round two, Jeremy and Andy have got seven points, but Francis and Jackie have got nine. Uh, Before we start the final round, here's a cutting from the Wiltshire Police Neighbourhood Watch Bulletin. No doubt many of you will have read the journal recently detailing incidents of indecent exposure by men in the area. This is, of course, of great concern, and I would urge that anyone who sees anything suspicious, no matter how small or insignificant it might be, report it immediately to the police. Thanks to David Law for sending that in. Uh, Francis, you smooth bundle of fun. Um... Yes, Simon, what is it? (laughs) Who's saying, on your bike, to cycle safety? It's that Isabel Mistry on a bicycle thing, isn't it? Is it's, that right? It's, is well, it? yes, that's part of it, but there are um, a couple of bicycle stories, actually. Well, oh, no, no, there are a thousand bicycle stories in the Naked City every week. Uh, this one happens to be that you can now be fined £2,500 from this week if you don't have a bell on your bicycle. Bells um, are compulsory, but wheels aren't. Wheels yes. aren't, no, 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 <laughs> but you've got to have a little bell. It's health and safety. The idea is that if a juggernaut is bearing down on you, you go, ting, ting, and it'll save your life. It's to do with, isn't it to do with motorists? Motorists, if we see a lady, uh, you can tell if it's a lady because she's sitting on the bicycle sideways or probably having a fainting fit because her clips are too tight. We don't run over ladies or people without helmets, like district nurses, but we do run over 
boy racer cyclists with those helmets on because we see them and think, oh, so you want to play. (laughs) (laughs) Well, apparently it doesn't doesn't matter if it's actually a woman. You just have to think, you know. Just to visualise yourself. Visualise somebody you think is a woman, like, you know, like Ruth Kelly. It's that kind of... um... (laughs) (laughs) You've got it in for her, haven't you? It feels so similar to her. (laughs) (laughs) My, My motto is... Pavements are for people, roads are for cars, canals are for bicycles. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to give two points to Francis for the fact the government is considering making bells on bicycles uh, compulsory. But I'm also going to give a point to Jeremy for the cycling uh, business. New research has proved that vehicles are more likely to hit cyclists who wear helmets. Helmeted cyclists are perceived as being more experienced and serious, unless, of course, they're David Cameron. <laughs> Jackie, who proved he didn't have much up top while lost down under? Oh, this is this British guy. He went to the pub somewhere near Alice Springs, and then he went for a little wander. Four days later, he was found after having rung the police and said, um, I'm a bit lost. Big helicopter rescue, loads of money spent on it, and he was brought back to safety, and he just said, it turned out he was only about three miles from civilization, or Alice Springs, as they call it in Australia. <laughs> and, you know, it was all sort of, oh, great, it's lovely that he's back. He was really lucky to survive. He only had a T-shirt and shorts and a, one bottle of water, but he made it. But then, thought, oh, I left something there. So he went back again <laughs> and got lost Again, in the same place, prompting another four-day rescue mission. I mean, what could be so important that you would go back? Well, presumably he's lost his marbles. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) The British tourist Martin Lake had to be rescued from the Australian outback twice in one week by police after going back the second time for something he had left behind. On his second trip, he spent four days uh, wandering around in the unforgiving desert, he did apparently find a shady spot, but sadly a German tourist had already put his towel on. <laughs> Jeremy, why might ponies be for the high jump? Well, I'm not sure where we're up to legally with this. I think the police have decided not to prosecute this woman because there is no crime no, of... it was an allegation. But this woman was accused of doping a pony club type pony in a gymkhana. Well, look, she's a mother, she's got a son... He's in a competition. With mothers, it's sons. With dads, it's daughters. I would like to think that my daughter, when she was ten, got the part of Maria in The Sound of Music on merit, but I'm sure the music teacher waking up with the school hamster's head next to on the pillow didn't <laughs> do any harm. Um, Jersey High Society was rocked by allegations that a mother doped rival competitors' ponies in an attempt to help her child win a young show jumper of the year uh, final, and uh, it is thought to be the most serious case of pony drugging since an East German pony shot putted its way to Olympic gold. <laughs> Andy, why are pigs good news for trotters and gallopers? It's a, it has a link to the question I had with Jeremy. Always, always searching for, they've been using, go on, Jeremy, you know. You see, abroad, pigs find truffles. Mm. Ours find acorns. <laughs> and try though we might, we've never been able to turn acorns into an expensive delicacy. <laughs> pigs like acorns, but they are deeply poisonous to uh, new forest ponies. Yeah. And so, they do a thing, what do they call it? Panage. 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 Where they release a whole load of pigs. But these days, pigs aren't volunteering. Can't they train other animals to, to do it? Other animals don't like... Dolphin. Squirrel? No, you apparently you can't. Um, there was this huge acorn crop uh, last year, and the pigs ate all the squirrels. So that was the... Uh... 
That's like one of those Roman dishes of a pig a stuffed pig. with a squirrel that's been stuffed with an acorn. They were weird, the Romans. They used to wipe their bottoms with a sponge soaked in vinegar. Their bottoms must have looked and smelt like pickled onion mustard munch. <laughs> Isn't that the most oh. curious thing to know? I once read years ago, <laughs> I read a book called Gargantua by Rabelais, and he said that the most luxurious thing to wipe your bottom with was a live goose, and I have read... <laughs> Oh, everyone knows that. <laughs> rarely checked into a five-star hotel without some sense of disappointment. <laughs> Your goose, Miss Toxic. <laughs> but isn't it, isn't it rather cruel when you flush it? That... Uh, the question was about pigs. In an ancient tradition known as panage, large numbers of pigs are to be released into the new forest to forage for a bumper crop of acorns which are poisonous to new forest ponies and cattle. A single mature oak can produce 50,000 acorns a year, whereas I imagine a married mature oak. (laughs) Uh, Before we reveal the final scores, uh, let's hear the cuttings that the teams have brought along. Francis. Sandy, uh, this is from Thursday's Guardian, from the Corrections and Clarifications column, King Arthur, in the photograph across pages 6 and 7 yesterday, is being played by Tim Curry, not Tim Rice. (laughs) Jackie. Um, This is from the Jewish Chronicle, sent in by Louis Solomon. Uh, Yeshea Shafit is Russia's flying mohel, travelling the length and breadth of the country to circumcise the young and old. Mr. Shafit is a former surgeon who gave up his job to help rejuvenate Russia's Jewish community and bring it back to its roots. (laughs) Oh, there's some unhappy boys listening to that. (laughs) Jeremy. This was from The Times, and it was sent in by Robin Hare of Tunbridge, Wales. A search and rescue operation launched after a lifeguard said that he saw a body floating in the sea off St. Just Cornwall fell flat when a lifeboat found a two-foot, six-inch inflatable copy of Poe, the Teletubby. (laughs) Falmouth Coast Guard said it was an easy mistake to make, except for the antenna coming out of its head. (laughs) Andy. Well, this is sent in by uh, Matthew Wright. It's from The Guardian, and I think it's a fantastic example of very quick thinking. Pat had no idea that her husband, Mike, was gay. She began picking up clues six years ago when she caught him downloading gay porn. (laughs) He told me he was downloading gay rather than straight porn because it was less likely to have viruses in it. Take a look at the final scores. Andy and Jeremy have got 12 points, but Francis and Jackie are this week's winners with 13. Before we leave you, here is a cutting from the BBC website. The University of Vienna has studied eight unmarried, childless couples in their 20s. Each couple was asked to spend 10 nights sleeping together and 10 apart, while scientists assessed their rest patterns with questionnaires and wrist activity monitors. <laughs> and with that, goodbye. Taking part in the news quiz were Francis Ween, Jackie Clune, Jeremy Hardy and Andy Hamilton. In the chair was Sandy Topsvig and the news was read by me, Carolyn Brown. The chair's script was written by Lucy Clark, Rodri Crooks and Simon Littlefield and the producer was Katie Turrell.